Hi folks, welcome to the KPC podcast. We are delighted that you are able to join us again as you go about your daily business, taking time just to tune in and to reflect with us on a very important topic, one that we will be discussing not only today, but in the following two weeks as well as we prepare ourselves for Easter. And a lot of the inspiration for this mini-sermon series comes from a book I read during the winter called Forgive by Tim Keller. And the subheading there is Why Should I and How Can I? Definitely one that I can recommend, Tim Keller's Forgive. If uh, you are able to order that online or in any good bookstore, you will be able to find that. So the whole concept and idea of forgiveness is very much at the heart of the gospel and our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Forgiven to forgive. It's kind of like what we need to talk about as well. And I wonder if you find it difficult to forgive others. Maybe someone's hurt you in the past and you've been bitter or you've been hoarding resentment and it's kind of like keeping you captive. It's important, folks, to delve into this concept and idea of forgiveness. For as we look at the piece of scripture from today in Matthew 18, we realize that it's not really optional. To forgive is almost a command. It's a type of an imperative that we receive because we have been forgiven. We are obliged to forgive others. And so if this rubs you up the wrong way, you are probably one of millions of other believers. So don't feel isolated. This is something very challenging to me as well because I find it hard too, if I have to be honest. There are people who've done things or said things um, that just didn't sit right with me. And um, I'm finding it hard. Sometimes forgiveness is a process as well, especially when it's things that have happened many years ago or it's something that you cannot fully restore or heal and mend in a single moment. So I hope you are as excited as I am about this series. So... I would encourage you, if you can, just to page to Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. And if you're on a walk or doing something in the kitchen or driving, rather not, just listen to these following words. The heading there is the parable of the unmerciful servant. And I think it's important just to realize that the word used there is parable. So... One needs to be very aware of the fact that certain uh, literature uh, tools will be used in a parable. It's it's a story to make a certain point. It's not an allegory, but it's also not necessarily the truth. It's not like this is historical information that's being shared. So it says there, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle them, 
A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master, he ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that date of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Amen. And thanks be to God for this reading from his word. Friends, maybe you struggle with this passage because you are struggling with forgiveness. Maybe you've been wounded by someone and you cannot bring yourself to forgive them. Or you have been the offender and you find yourself alienated by someone you care about. So this is definitely for you. C.S. Lewis once said, everybody thinks forgiveness is a good idea until they have something serious to forgive. Friends, this narrative starts with Peter exploring forgiveness after Jesus gave a teaching about reconciliation earlier in chapter 18. And he's thinking, I sense Jesus is merciful. Let's be adventurous to test how many times I should forgive. And he makes a bold move. Jesus, forgive as many as seven times. Now, this would be absurd by rabbinic standards, but it might just be the number Jesus would like. It's a holy number. Jesus would like this answer. Surely this shows strength of leadership, generosity of spirit. But Jesus' response in verse 22 catches him off guard. I tell you the truth, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times 70. And it's basically because seven is the perfect number. In Jewish terms. And so we sense that there is a shift happening here. A new order. A new era. A new covenant. An understanding of mercy and grace. And so what are we to learn from all this? Before we look at a few lessons. It's good to look at the servant. And understand his situation. He was like a modern day CFO. He had control over the movement of vast wealth of the king. Up and down this pyramid. The servant who works near or at the very top of the pyramid may have taken too large a sum of money for himself and he's in trouble. He begs for mercy, falls to the ground, says he will pay back the money. Wiping this debt off the books then has implications for everyone down the pyramid. A fact certainly noted by all the clients of the servant later. The king inaugurates a regime of financial amnesty, 
a jubilee, if you will, not only for the slave, but for everyone that is in debt. But then, startlingly, the servant withholds it when someone else further down the pyramid owes him a small amount of money. And this is a travesty, and it doesn't go down well. So let's look at some of the foundational lessons on forgiveness. It's to do with reservation. Jesus uses, remember, it's a parable, an absurd exaggeration, a hyperbole. What it means is this. Forgive your brother and sister beyond your ability to keep track. If you are keeping track, it's not really forgiveness at all. We are called to throw away the calculator when dealing with relationships. Record-keeping friends, it's impractical. He does not give us a math lesson, but a grace lesson. Tim Keller says, if one is counting, one is not really forgiving. But just how much was forgiven? It's important to note the following. One talent is about 6,000 denarii, give or take. So with each denarius worth a day's wage for a labor. Thus, the first servant owes about 60 million denarii, an amount so large that exceeds the national debt of a small country. It's something like 200 years worth of wages. No person could repay it, even if they were to sell themselves, their family, into servitude for the rest of their lives. It's really extortionate. That's the point of the story. His debt of 10,000 talents combines the largest monetary unit, which is a talent, and the largest Greek numerical value in this world, 10,000. There is technically no bigger number. It's infinite. It's, it's an immeasurable debt. It would be impossible to pay it back. The situation that we are being painted is utterly hopeless. The only thing the servant could do was beg for mercy. And he makes a stupid statement to say that he'll pay it back. There's no chance that he'll ever be able to do that. And I noticed in our life group this week that he didn't ask for forgiveness. He simply begged, asking for mercy. And he receives it. It is given. Keller says, to forgive someone's debt to you is to absorb the debt yourself. Forgiveness then is a form of voluntary suffering. In forgiving, rather than retaliating, you make a choice. To bear the cost. You make a choice to bear the cost. The question is, are you willing to give what you've received? And that's the question at the heart of forgiveness. And that's the great injustice here. Those who have truly received and know what grace and forgiveness are, are the ones who know the true nature and the value of the blessing and have it change them. Forgiveness, both the giving and receiving on it, is reciprocal. One, one cannot have one without the other. Matthew 6, verse 14 to 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive your trespasses. What the unforgiving servant was willing to receive, he was not willing to give. His selfishness, and his greed roar and he implements his own punishment on a fellow slave whose debt is minuscule in comparison to that which he owed. It's not even a percentage of what he owed. The unforgiving servant's debt 
was 600 times greater than the slave he sent to be tortured in prison. One commentary says, His failure to carry on the forgiveness the king granted him not only halts the spread of financial amnesty in its tracks, it also mocks and dishonors the king himself. The king cannot ignore such a slight. The unforgiving slave binds himself not to the king's mercy, but to the old system of wealth extraction and violence. And that's why he grabs him by the neck, starts choking him even. The point is the dramatic contrast between the large and the small debts, and between the king's compassion and the first slave's lack of compassion. Friends, this was a massive missed opportunity to share forgiveness. So forgive without reservation. That's what this passage is saying. And you know, I love this word forgiveness. It means literally to send away or to let go. It is a conscious decision on the part of the offended person to let it go. Now, this is important. Ancient cultures did not value forgiveness. The modern concept of forgiveness as instituted by Jesus in the full rich sense of the term, did not exist in classical antiquity. In Greece and Rome, for example, the ancient Greek philosophers did not see it as a value. They did not see it as a virtue. That's fascinating. They would excuse someone, but they would not forgive someone. So the word we get here, afiemi, the Greek word is radical. It's countercultural, and it means to legally cancel a debt, not just lessen the penalty, there is a cost involved, as we said. When a debt is cancelled by a creditor, it means that the creditor, rather than the debtor, absorbs the debt. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took our punishment without blemish or fault. He paid the ultimate price. Forgiven, you and I, because of his sacrifice. And so, friends, thirdly, this leads to healing. Forgiveness leads to healing. We are requiring us to let go, to turn the page, to refuse the right to hold on to the bitterness, the resentment and anger. What does the owner do in verse 27? He lets him go. The relationship is restored. He absorbs the debt. God's forgiveness surpasses both our deserving and our comprehension of it. And therefore, it is to be used to mend and to heal. And friends, this is important. You and I, we need to be forgiven about as often, if not more, as we need to eat. True, most days we are not guilty of anything huge, adultery or embezzling of money. But there are always other sins, lapses and faults. There are always those dark thoughts we're glad no one else can see. We're guilty. Every single one of us. We are all in need of forgiveness all the time. The reason God expects us to forgive because of our being forgiven is the same reason you and I can expect to be wet after diving into water. We also need to forgive. It's a command. When God immerses you in grace and saves your life eternally by it, you will be dripping with grace yourself. You will be full of grace and truth. And so, spread it to others. God forgives us daily. 
we forgive others daily. So forgiveness must become a lifestyle, a habit. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Is it a habit in your life? I wonder. Maybe it's time we make it a habit in our lives. Friends, we forgive not to help ourselves, but because it's the God-like thing to do. And our focus should be on healing others, not necessarily ourselves first and foremost. This is part of our identity. Forgiven is who and what we are. The very foundation on which our identity as Christians is built is nothing less than the death and resurrection of Jesus and the flood of gracious forgiveness which that grand sacrifice unleashed. Christianity states that forgiveness is necessary. It's not an option but an imperative. Christianity also makes it clear that forgiveness is hard. It is costly. There is really nothing soft or sentimental about it. And today, maybe you didn't join us for communion. Maybe it's good just to, whenever you eat a piece of bread or your lunch and drink something, to be reminded of that. That's how we benefited from the gracious mercy of God. We are also called to extend that mercy to others. It is an act of faith, letting go to forgive others. Now, I also don't want to just reduce it to this conscious active decision to make. Often there are processes that you need to go through. Sometimes we need to see a counselor, go through therapy. But we are called to be active in pursuing forgiveness for ourselves and for others. For that is what Christ came to do us, to set us free from the bondage of sin by writing off all our debt. And so I simply ask you, who is it that you need to forgive today? Forgiven to forgive. Amen.